Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, the president of the Noseminster family of guitar effects. You can check us out at westminstereffects.com and make sure you join the discussion on the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. Uh, John is not with us. We had some scheduling difficulties. Uh, John, hurry up and come back. We miss you. Uh, but we still have, to my right... This is Bradley Cox, pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. I say to my right, but nobody can see us. Um, <laughs> so, uh, church yesterday, uh, I played guitar. Mm-hmm. Electric, that is. Yeah. Uh, no major flubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, no major screw-ups. Uh, everything kind of went just decent. Like, just no hitches. and. I thought the worship yeah, was really good today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then Romans 10... Romans ten another finish. another lighter week for you, <laughs> at least in, in comparison to the last month. Yeah. Um. So basically, just still rehearsing the gospel and how it's for everyone, regardless of background. Yeah. So. Yeah. A little bit. Um. You know about the God's provision for our belief. If you know salvation is um, predicated on our believing. And, and I, I think I said this on Sunday, our tendency is to not um, fill up the word believe with all that I think Scripture intends mm-hmm. us to fill it up with. Um, we tend to have shallow notions of that. But um, um, how is it that God provides for our belief? And I think the answer is in the last half of 10 where... Paul talks about, you know, how will they believe on whom they have not heard and how will they hear if no one preaches and mm-hmm. how will anyone preach if they're not sent? And so um, I think that is the beauty of um, Romans 10 is really just God providing everything that is necessary for salvation, including our believing. Right. And uh, which, you know. God ordains the end, and He also ordains the means. Right. We've talked about that before, and, and the memes, <laughs> and the memes. <laughs> and I think you know Paul's the last part of ten. Paul's addressing the question: Well, if God has provided for belief, why are so many not believing? And I think um, the picture of God with His arms stretched out at the end of chapter ten is really beautiful, um, but it raises questions about what Paul said in chapter nine about God having mercy on whom he wills and hardening whom he wills. And so what we tried to do on Sunday was connect those dots um, by saying that God is sovereign and man is responsible. Um, God is sovereign over the human heart and being sovereign over the human heart does not mean that he is not the kind of God who doesn't have his arms stretched out Mm -hmm. um, and that, that the mission is not... Uh, something that is limited by his sovereignty, it's actually enhanced. Absolutely. We go with more confidence knowing that no hearts are too hard, no ears are too deaf, no eyes are too blind, that God cannot awaken people to the gospel and um, by his grace produce faith, faith that that gives rise to our salvation. So um, I thought it was... I tried to explain that, and I tried to make that clear that Romans 10 does not contradict Romans 9. Right. That was my goal, uh, is to help people see the connection there. And so, um, I don't know, take a listen to it for yourself on the Res Faith podcast and 
see what you think. Mm-hmm. Uh, let Cody know if you disagree, uh, and then uh, maybe we'll talk about it. Yeah, I like the uh, the way that our Presbyterian friends put it is the well meant offer of the gospel. On, yeah. on behalf of God, yeah. is is he legitimately is offering this, uh, but he is also sovereign within that. Yes. Um, so it's it's definitely the both the both and. Yeah. Um, even within Reformation based theology or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, or as you put it, uh, sovereigntist <laughs> a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. Um, like it does take a work of God to turn the heart. And I think and you we, see that all through Scripture. You do, you do. Um, you know, um, I, and and I, I would encourage people. I, I imagine that a lot of folks that listen to this podcast um, are reformed in their thinking. At least that's my sense. Um, and I just would encourage people who hold to the sovereignty of God, which is precious and essential for our joy and our confidence in our salvation, uh, and 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 also in knowing that. Um, this world that can seem out of control and cruel is not beyond the goodness and sovereign power of God in our lives. And we need to know that. But at the same time, we need to know that God is calling us to go. We are being sent to preach. And just like when Jesus told the parable of the sower, um, the the sowing of the seeds was indiscriminate. Mm-hmm. And I think our yeah. preaching of the gospel should be indiscriminate, right. and it should be um, with full of compassion towards people, and beckoning and calling people with tears, even uh, to believe on the Lord Jesus. And some seeds going to fall on hard soil, yep. and some's going to fall on good soil. And I think, I think that's the way Jesus went about ministry mm-hmm. evangelistically. Uh, it's it's certainly the way Paul and the apostles went about it in the early church, and it's the way that we should as well. Yeah, it reminds me of, uh, I've recommended this book at least two or three times, but The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson Mm -hmm. about the marrow controversy in Scotland in the 1700s, where it was basically hyper-Calvinism had taken over the church, and they were only preaching Christ to those who were showing repentance. Mm -hmm. And uh, like that's not how it that's not how the Bible shows us how to no. proclaim the gospel. It's, no. it's proclaim Christ to literally whoever. Yeah. And whoever responds, well, thank God for that. Cause he made it happen. Exactly. And then, and then you go from there yeah. and then that's when you get to the repentance and sanctification, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 I, I think that, you know, it, I, I started the sermon this way. You know, I asked the question that, you know, when we die and we, I think the Bible's clear to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. And, mm-hmm. and there, there might be some, some questions there that we would ask about what that experience will be like. But regardless, imagining that when we breathe our last here and we uh, breathe our first there, mm-hmm. what, what would the sentiment be for right. us when we're there? Would it be, I made it? Yeah. Or would it be to look into the face of Jesus and say, it's entirely your fault that I'm here? Right. And I think those who are saved... There's something that resonates in our soul. That that's yep. sort of a, um, I don't know, a colloquial way to to to, to mm-hmm. put it. And and I realize that, but I think there's something that resonates in our soul with that. That we know mm-hmm. God had to take out our heart of stone, put in the heart of flesh, and awaken us to that bankruptcy of soul that 
Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5 when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, that God had to do that in us. He had to bring us to that place right. in order for us to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And we need to understand that for our own joy and mm-hmm. confidence in our salvation. And we need to understand that for the sake of our mission and evangelism yep. uh, that we preach and we trust that the word of God bears fruit and increases wherever it goes and that it is God that changes hearts and he rules over hearts and man is responsible. God is sovereign. We preach to everybody. We are in one sense, the extension of his arms to the world to call on the Lord and be saved. And I think we should do that indiscriminately and we should do that with passion. We should do that with tears. We should do that with love uh, and let God do the transformative work that needs to be done in people's yeah, absolutely. hearts. Good stuff. Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I keep missing. Give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the... Uh, so our, our main top... Well, I guess we kind of could split it down the middle. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but kind of... You know, my, my Sunday morning routine is is I'm going to read what you or Keith are going to preach on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes I'll I'll kind of guess where you're going to go. A lot of times, you know, knowing the two of you, mm-hmm. um, I typically kind of know the general direction. Sometimes mm. one or both of you will throw me a curveball. <laughs> I'm not expecting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but within this context of, of Romans 10, uh, you pulled out 1 Timothy 2.4 and, you know, definitely agreed with how you applied it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just recognized there is a potential mm-hmm. uh, for like that. That's an oft used verse. Uh, we won't even get into the verse mm-hmm. or its contents. I don't think. Um, but that's, that's a verse with a lot of debate around it. Yeah, there is. And, uh, and there's disagreements within whether church bodies, denominations or between differing denominations and convictions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of wanted to talk about, how can we as Christians disagree well, whether we're talking about people in our own church, uh, whether we're talking about within a worship team context of, hey, do we cut this bridge in half uh, mm-hmm. or do we ax that extra chorus or should we drop out the instruments on this last verse and let the congregation take over mm-hmm. um, or even, you know, <laughs> even getting in, not to say to go into the thing, but hey, we have differing eschatologies, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the church or different soteriologies or ecclesiologies or mm-hmm. whatever. How do we go about dealing with all of that? Um, ultimately, I think, you know, to just kind of jump the gun and get to the solution, do it lovingly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't be a turd about it. <laughs> yeah. Do it lovingly and do it humbly. Yeah. You know, um, one of the best definitions that I've ever heard of the word humble or being humble is to say that I realize that no one has a 100% accurate view of what's true except God himself. Right. I recognize that I, I just listened to something from John MacArthur this morning where he was saying, I know I have errors in my theology. Right. And if I knew what those errors were, I would already have I corrected could, I them. could actually tell him what they are. I, I think I could tell him at least one or two of them. <laughs> yeah. But but he you know, he he acknowledges there's a humility as, as as harsh as MacArthur can come across, I do sense a humility 
uh, in him that I, I think is good and healthy that that makes room for debate, makes mm-hmm. room for discussion about areas in which we might disagree. Right. Um, sometimes I think MacArthur does better than others at, at putting that kind of humility on display. But nevertheless, I think that's an, a crucial part of being able to have discussions about topics or theology that we might disagree on, methodology we might disagree on, is to approach it humbly. Um, if the goal you know, is to be right, mm-hmm. we, we often set ourselves up for failure. Right. If, but if our goal is to um, try to understand other people and then be understood, like I always try to put those mm-hmm. things in that order. Yeah. I want to seek first to understand. If you say something that I disagree with, if you mm-hmm. think we ought to cut a bridge in half that I think is crucial to the song, yeah. then the best thing I can do is try to first understand why you think that, mm-hmm. as opposed to just trying to prove to you right. that why my perspective is right, why, why, why can't I at least take the time to ask a few questions and understand where you're coming mm-hmm. from? And then let that inform my perspective as mm-hmm. it needs to, and then make an effort for you to understand where I'm coming from and yeah, see where that, yeah. where that meets. If we just, you know, I think the best way to describe that is compassion mm. coupled with humility. Yep. I seek first to understand, then be understood, realizing, and then this is where the humility piece mm-hmm. comes in, that I don't always have a 100% accurate view of what's true. Right. Right. Yeah. We, we had a pretty good example of that uh, yesterday uh, during rehearsals where we played uh, Shane and Shane's rendition of There is a Fountain. Mm-hmm. And the first time when we introduced this to the congregation, uh, the very first time we played it a couple weeks ago, um, the, let's see, the way that they structure this song is kind of, it's kind of weird. It uh, is. It is a little different. Where, where that last, um, the last verse is, it's down, and then they start to come back in for the chorus and then they go into this weird, like minute and a half instrumental, and mm-hmm. we're, we're not going. That's not our thing. Like, yeah, we're not going to really do that. Um, so the last time we did it, we did really down on the last verse, and then on the last chorus, we totally backed off and just went acapella congregation, mm-hmm. and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I wasn't able to be at rehearsal Thursday, so they kind of did a. Basically, they kind of did what Shane and Shane did minus the minute and a half instrumental. And so we played it and I said, hey, remember when we did it last time? This was the way we did it. And there was there was a little back and forth of what about this or what about this? And we ended up kind of splitting the difference. And it ended up being pretty cool. Yeah, I Um, thought it was good. Yeah. And, you know, it's it was one of those where I was like, maybe maybe just take a back seat here. Um, let, let these people write out their ideas. If it doesn't work, then whatever, it's not the end of the world. Um, but if it does work out, then also cool. You know, it's not like we're out there trying to get credit for ourselves. And, uh, and, but within the fact that we had a bunch of people on the stage who knew what they were doing and knew how to communicate with each other. Um, that's what I think is, is a big deal is we know who we were talking to. Yeah. So we have, we had Patrick on drums who is a music teacher and <laughs> the dude is the mad professor back there. He in is. Terms He's so of musical language. And, uh, and then you've got, uh, Kristen and me who come from more of a metal background. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Uh, you got, we had Zeke and Tanya and et cetera. And then it was just like, 
but we knew how to talk to each other. Yeah. Like we know each other's personalities. We know, uh, we know that none of us are going to jump anybody for a mistake or something like yeah. that, which yeah. helps, I think. Well, the, there's a lot of maturity on that stage yesterday. Um, That's true. That's true. And, and I don't mean that just in terms of age. I mean that in terms of, you know, I think what the, the marks of a mature person are many, um, but particularly in relationships when people give each other the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. it generally ends up better. Right. And for whatever reason in our day, giving the benefit of the doubt it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. And, you know, I heard somebody say this one time, meaning doesn't, most of the time doesn't reside just in words, but it resides in people. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you say things or I might say things to you mm-hmm. that you struggle to square with who you know I am. Right. And so what are you going to do in that moment? Mm-hmm. Are you going to go with the words or are you going to go who you know my, me to be? Right. Now, obviously, we're we're assuming that there's a relationship mm-hmm. um, with the people that we're disagreeing with. Yep. When, there's, when there's not a real relationship, this becomes more difficult. But when you are working with a team of people and you're, for example, on a worship team and there's disagreement about what direction to take a song or what songs to do, um, how to how to handle this transition or that. Um, I, I think when there's a gap between us, we need to we need to lean more heavily on who we know these people to be yep. rather than just exactly. what we're hearing them say. Um, and I think that's gonna that's gonna lend itself to much much more resolutions that are healthy mm-hmm. and quicker. Right. Because uh, a lot of times there's the, the pressure of Sunday morning, particularly in sound check before service, the pressure to get this solved and get it right because right. we the, the clock is ticking. Um, and, you know, hopefully those things are, are, are more sorted out in a rehearsal than they are on a Sunday morning sound check. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, you really do. I think it, it's crucial for worship teams and any kind of ministry team to, to spend time together. Uh, not just in rehearsal and in service, but yeah. also outside to build those kind of relationships where you get to know who are these people, uh, what makes them tick, and um, because that's going to help you resolve those those differences of opinion quicker mm-hmm. and, and yeah, healthier. And there, there was even a, a time or two in that discussion. I was like, we probably need to just like we need we do need to figure this out because yeah. it was dragging on for a couple minutes mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't in a bad way if it had been a thursday night rehearsal it wouldn't wouldn't have been a problem right we would have gotten done at eight thirty five instead of eight thirty. Mm. but when you're up against the clock on those sunday mornings it's just like oh goodness uh we got to get this and and we actually ended up because of that we didn't have time for a second run through of our final song uh which which is okay yep. because we've played that song a million times and it wasn't yep. a, it wasn't a big deal um but that that you bring up another good point to this whole thing i mean we just kind of rehearsing what we've said put on compassion and humility mm-hmm. first yep right lean more heavily towards who you know the person to be rather than just the words you you disagree mm-hmm. with and then here's the third thing. When, when the time pressure's on and the decision is made and you didn't get your way. Yep. Yep. What are you going to do? Right. And I think, I, I think the one real power that we have in those situations is to choose our attitude. 
Yes. Right? We may not win the argument. Mm-hmm. We may not win the debate. We may not get our way. And in this situation, nobody really won. Nobody really totally got their You guys compromised. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But in some situations, maybe there's a, 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 a worship director, a band director who ends up saying, okay, time pressure's on. This is what we're going to do. And then somebody didn't get their way, maybe multiple somebodies. And at that point, you know, sometimes we feel like, like slided or we feel like, mm-hmm. you know, um, what, what do I do with this? I didn't get my way. And so then you can, that, that you've got to make a choice about what your attitude is going to be about that going forward. And yeah. maybe the decision that was made was a flop. Maybe it was a huge win. Mm-hmm. Either way, I think you've got to choose to have the right attitude about that. Otherwise yep. you're going to end up harming the relationship. And that, and that same thing can, can be said for things like guitar tones, strumming patterns sure. versus finger picking, whatever, uh, where I know, my tendency is to layer on more gain <laughs> than most church guitars. Well, mm-hmm. that's just my taste. Yep. Um, and every now and then I'll try and check myself and ask if maybe if you're there or whoever, be like, hey, is that too much? Mm-hmm. Usually the answer is no. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Usually the answer is no. Keep keep doing what you're doing. Mm. And uh, so that always makes me feel nice. So, <laughs> yes, we can have all of the gain. Yeah. Uh, turn it into metal yeah. worship, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. Um, but the I think the same thing probably should be said for the best possible uh, interpretation uh, with anything text-based. Now, obviously, we don't want to, you know, have knockdown dragouts via text message or social mm-hmm. media or whatever. Um, but I've heard James White say many times, like if if you have someone who is a professing believer um, and they, you know, say they tweet something, mm-hmm. um, you know, who was it? Uh, Tim Keller, you know, has said some things that weren't heretical by any means but there was I've read some tweets from him that caused me to turn my head a little bit exactly but we know who tim keller is we don't know him personally right so typically we're going to put the best reading possible on that yeah. now even if it's if it's a figure that we maybe annoys us a little bit <laughs> we're more tempted to put the worst possible reading on it true um to make them look as bad as possible and make ourselves feel good about ourselves yeah yeah and uh, so within those people in your church, like charity within that is helpful too. It is. You know that person. It is. So you know that they don't mean the absolute worst case scenario, right? It, and it's it's the challenge of, you know, with social media and the internet and, and the way information gets around and, you know, somebody like Tim Keller it, it's it, it's just stop and think about this. And he I was mean, just the first guy that popped into my head. Yeah, Every, everybody has tweeted something controversial. If have. you have Twitter, John Piper, Beth yeah. Moore, etc. Like literally everyone has. I mean, you know, I'm old enough that I remember the internet becoming a thing. Right. I remember. I, I also remember. I'm not that young, Bradley. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember. I remember when Facebook came out. I remember social media, and I was I was in my adult years when those things happened, and so I I just remember the difference. In, you know, like I could I I have I'm not anywhere near as well known as somebody like Tim Keller, but I have I don't know I don't even know now two or three thousand people that follow me on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just stop and think about that for a minute. Yeah. Two or three thousand people who yeah. have who how many people following them um, 
that I could literally put something out there yep. and it touch thousands of people. And then on top of that, people hear you via Westminster Effects. Westminster Effects, plus. All 7 Days Podcast, Res Faith Podcast. Yeah, plus you know, my personal pay, plus whenever you share it, plus the group, plus whatever. It's, and that's it's insane. The, you know, that is a lot to steward, even for somebody like me and you, yeah. who we're not, we're not internet, you know, celebrities. Right. I did, I did have someone at NAM this year tell me that I was a celebrity to them, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you, you need to slow down. You might want my autograph. That's okay, but just stop right <laughs> no, there. No, there was no autograph request, <laughs> but it, I was a little thrown off. It's just like, can you pick a different word? That's weird. <laughs> but I say all that to say, you know, we need to be mindful of not only what we put on social media or what we yeah. say in those platforms, but how we interpret what right. is said and what comes through those right. platforms. Because I, I just think that um, those are not good, helpful measuring sticks in all cases. You know, for somebody like Tim Keller, you know, who has put out a lot of material over the years and we think we know who he is and what he's about ultimately. And then he sends, he puts a tweet out that causes us to question like, wait a minute, what's he saying there? Right. And, and that can be really hard to steward. And so I think that we, we just got to have some pretty thick filters. I think for, yep. for that, for, for disagreements and debates to happen in that mm-hmm. sphere versus in the context of our local community, our local yep. church, that the, those are to me, those are two different kinds of conversations. And, and I've said this before, I don't get in debates on social media. Right. Now, that's me. Right. I'm not saying everybody's got to be like me, but I don't do that because I don't feel like I get anywhere with it. The right. times that I have done it, it's just gone nowhere, and I end up wasting time. Yeah. But when somebody like you says comes up to me after a sermon, and not that you, I don't know if you may have done this a time or two, but says, look, I don't, I didn't understand that. Or I don't think I did agree with that. Mm-hmm. That to me, I love that. Like, yeah. I think that's a great opportunity to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. I know you, you know me, we're in relationship right. and that I'm, I'm more committed to devote energy to that yeah. than I am to what Tim Keller may tweet out. Mm-hmm. that he may or may not have even thought all the way through. Yeah, and I've even, especially the last year, year and a half, really scaled back my social media stuff in terms of anything that could be construed as controversial. Mm-hmm. If anything, like, I'm I'm game for discussion. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to have a knockdown drag out. Like, yeah. it, everybody just ends up angry mm-hmm. afterward. Um, and, and I actually made my first comment on someone else's post. Um, it was It was a political thing with other repercussions. And I was like, I think the wrong question's being asked. Mm. That was basically it. Mm. <laughs> it was, was, I think, I think the real symptom is a lack, lack of gospel ultimately. Mm. And I really just kind of left it there because yep. I don't want to start throwing punches. Well, and, and I, I see, I see something happening that I think is good. And, but I think it's, it's, it's like a new gate in a cow pasture. We're not quite sure what to do with it yet. <laughs> That's a uh, great analogy. We, 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 we have not, I think, in the last 50 years, and when I say we, I'm talking about the church in America in particular, capital C, we've not done a good job of having healthy discussion about theology yep. and doctrine yep. 
uh, having hard conversations where we disagree in order with, with the goal in mind that we want to be as biblically accurate as we can. We've not done that. We've just sort of let things slide and, you know, we've got these, you know, giving them the benefit of the doubt, we've got these streams in evangelical Christianity that, you know, their debates are raging about whether or not these are heresy Mm -hmm. or just biblical themes taken to extra biblical extremes or are these just a couple of clicks off and what do we do with that? Yeah. Um, And I, I think, there's there's not been a whole lot of healthy debate. Right. And I think there needs to be, and mm-hmm. I think there's a desire for it, and that's a good thing. But here's the danger. In our culture, we're addicted to controversy. Yep, we have, we have this outrage culture. We do. We are addicted to controversy. We love it, and I think that makes room for pride. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes room for bitterness. It makes room for division. Yep. And if we're not careful in the body of Christ... We will go about a right thing in the wrong way and yep. end up in a worse mess. Yep, exactly. And, and I, I, I don't know that I have the solutions as much as is. I say, look, you know, we need to be mindful. We need to be aware. You know, mm-hmm. Jude the, opens with, I felt the need to write to you about our common salvation because there are things that have. I'm paraphrasing. There are things that have crept in unnoticed. You know, subtle things. Yep. It's, we're not talking about people going around saying Jesus is a three-headed dragon. We're talking about <laughs> these subtleties that, um, that that make their way into the body of Christ, and and some contend for them to be accepted as orthodox. Right. And it may not be, and we need to have discussions about when, that. When maybe the logical conclusion of that thing is ultimately some other religion altogether. It could be. And, right. I, and, and, and that's what's at stake. Right. And, and I don't want to go out being a witch hunter. Right. But at the same time, I want to have healthy discussion about some of the things we've talked about on this podcast, oh, for yeah. example. What's been, what's been coming out of Bethel. Uh, we might even talk about what Benny Hinn has posted on Facebook. Let's, let's go ahead and go there. <laughs> we, we can go ahead and go there. So that, that was actually, you wanted to just go ahead and do a whole episode on it, which I am totally game to do half an episode on it right yeah. now, but I, I had that idea and yeah, sorry, my, my watch is telling me to do things. Shut up, watch. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, so Benny Hinn, like, what do we, what do we do with this guy who is, who's been, one of the most infamous prosperity preachers of the last ever. <laughs> oh yeah. Of the last ever. Like the dude has had this incredibly lavish lifestyle, uh, preaching some of the craziest things ever, even going so far as to say in the nineties, which he did retract to his credit that every member of the Godhead was a Trinity in and of himself, therefore making God a ninety. <laughs> Which, yeah, that's one of the the more laughable ones. But other than that, like the thing that he repented of supposedly, and that's you know we'll see if the fruit bears out, is um, telling me to telling people to send a thousand dollars and you'll be healed or your dreams will come true or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he's at least rebuked the idea of seed money. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in other interviews, he's still saying, yeah, the prosperity gospel is still a thing. So even if it's not, send me all this money, it's still kind of like this Osteen, Meyer, Jake's style prosperity gospel, which is still the prosperity gospel. It is. And, and you know, 
I find myself, Cody, being just being transparent. Mm-hmm. I want to celebrate what I hope is yes. maybe at least beginning. Yes. And that I, is... It would be... Do you know how entertaining Benny Hinn would be as a cage stage Calvinist? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, that's... Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that blew my mind right there. I'm not instead sure of yelling tulip, he, or Instead of yelling fire, he starts yelling tulip. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you have that locked and loaded? That was like... I uh, did. <laughs> I'll, I'll be transparent about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, how awesome would it be? Just Let's just stop yeah. and think about this. How awesome would it be for the church in America to wake up to the poison that is the prosperity gospel? Yes. And to renounce it. Like, how awesome mm-hmm. would that be? And yeah. and when I say renounce it, I really mean it. I mean the doctrine. I mean yep. the I yep. mean the thinking, the 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 bad theology that is the prosperity gospel. The, the God wants you happy, healthy, and wealthy. That's right. Yeah. I'm not talking about villainizing people right. as much as I am a teaching yeah. information. Yep. And I think that's that's a real struggle. Is but that? It, but if that means we have to run away from certain people, that's right. Then fine. That's right. But would are we better off? Like you know, I, I I don't. I've heard rumors that there were, you know, posts that happened right after the the video clip uh, came out of mm-hmm. him renouncing some portion of the prosperity gospel or whatever that almost seemed to contradict right. his renouncement. And and I haven't seen that myself or which, heard that. Which may have been, you know, in, in the spirit of all fairness, that may have been pre-recorded. May have been. Something could have been a rerun, something like that. I mean, I watched the clip of him renouncing and it almost seemed like he was, I mean, again, I'm giving him some benefit of the doubt here. But which, it, which is saying something. It is saying hand. something. Um, I, it almost seemed like he hadn't planned. Like you could, it, it could come across that way that he hadn't planned to say all of that. Mm-hmm. But yet in the moment he felt like it was because he kept saying, um, I'm not really ready to go public with this or yeah. so, something to that effect. And so if that's true, I mean, I want to believe it is because I want the prosperity God. I don't want Benny Hinn to be villainized and right. you know whipped at the post. I want him to change. I right. want him to repent. Right. And and if his repentance could you know set off sort of a domino effect where people start to go because I listen. I grew up with people that are in the ministry today, and mm. some of them have large and influential ministries um, that were heavily influenced by the likes of Benny Hinn. Mm-hmm. And their theology was heavily influenced by the likes of Benny Hinn. Yeah. And so if Benny Hinn... And that would have even been like in the latter days of like Oral Roberts, Catherine Kuhlman absolutely, type of stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. If, 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 if Benny Hinn could become a voice mm-hmm. against the prosperity gospel... Yeah, that would be incredible. It would be fantastic. Even yeah. if all his theology wrinkles have not been ironed out yet, yeah. if he could become a voice against that... I just I, I see the impact that that could right. have on ministries that stretch all the way across this country right. of people that I know. Right. So it's it's almost like the early church with Paul. Yeah. Is is we really really want this to be true. We yes. do, we don't want Benny Hinn to die in heresy. Like we don't we don't actively want that. Mm. Uh, we want him to repent. So I guess hope for the best and pray for him. Yeah. Right. So I can't tell you how many. Coffee tables and lunch tables I've been around, Cody. Mm-hmm. 
that it's a miracle that I'm not teaching prosperity gospel. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I do not say that tongue in cheek. Right. Somehow, by God's grace, he opened my eyes and I saw it at a young age in my early 20s. Yeah. I saw the, the error. And because I've been around numerous lunch tables where the name it and claim it stuff was, was so thick mm-hmm. in men that I looked up to. Yeah. That it's a, it is no small miracle that I'm not right in there with them. Yeah. And so I, I, I have to be honest. I, I, I saw that headline and I thought, man, I hope that this is not absolutely uh, just a manipulative thing on his part to try to get attention. Right. But that he is genuinely repenting and seeing the error and correcting his theology. Yes. All right. Uh, let's head on into the Inquisition. Here's a break for an all seven days ad read. Does God run out of patience? How do we bridge the gap between understanding and application of Scripture? How do I deal with my kids who have left the faith? Does God forget our sin? Join the discussion on all these topics and more on the All 7 Days podcast, where Stan, who also happens to be my dad, and Trevor take your questions and answer them from the perspective of a couple of church members just having a discussion about spiritual matters. Subscribe to the All 7 Days podcast today on Apple, Google, Spotify, Overcast, or your other favorite podcast listening platform and check out all7days.com. First question, and my notes printed out while my printer is running out of ink, so I'm going to have to squint, and it might be read a little more slowly. Brian Morris <laughs> asks, all right, so the basis of this question, you'll get a kick out of the question, though, Bradley. Okay. So Josh Scott of JHS Pedals released this limited run of four pedals, all based on circuits from 1965, <laughs> right? <laughs> so these were all like hand-wired turret board, uh, cool-sounding pedals, but... 20 of each of these four uh, sold for $400 a piece <laughs> for, mm. you know, per pedal okay. uh, sold out in like two hours. And now they're going on reverb for like $800. Wow. Uh, yeah. So good for him. JHS yeah. is a great company. Yeah. Uh, Brian Morris uh, asks when I'm going to release my 1611 series that's hand built by my dogs. <laughs> well played. The 1611 series. I might have to do something like that. <laughs> uh, so so a, uh, a more more in-depth question, which this is actually a pretty good question. I think this is Michael Bertuzzi's first question he's ever submitted, maybe second. I don't know. Thank you, Michael. Uh, so I've heard it all from it's a cultural aspect of first, first century diaspora to it should still be practiced today in regards to head coverings. So here we go. Uh, Many complementarians will cite the cultural context as a way of not practicing this custom anymore, but digging closer, I feel like it's the same line of reasoning that leads to egalitarianism, i.e. Paul refers to the angels and the created order, not Aphrodite worship and prostitution. However, I have read what I think is correct that 
what even Sproul misses, which is head coverings should only be worn by a woman if she's prophesying. 1 Corinthians 11.5, it seems obvious to me now. And then he says, why do the big guns like Sproul and Joel Beakey miss this? <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. Um, you, so, you, know, you know, every now and then we just have to lay, just plop a giant question in your lap like that and just blindside you, right? Like that's, that's part of the fun of the Inquisition. <laughs> Bradley's pulling open his, uh, I'm assuming you're pulling open the Bible app, right? I am, I am. So it is it, basically he's asking the question um can complementarianism can we advocate for that without requiring women to cover their heads is that the essence of the question uh complementarianism without women covering their heads is what you said yes pretty much <sighs> and he's saying that upon his reading it seems like women would only cover their heads when they're prophesying but this 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 does seem like a straight up cultural kind of thing. But I, I haven't read enough into this to really say one thing or another. So I'm gonna I'm just gonna push. I'm not gonna take the you're over not, or the you're, under. You're not gonna take the oath. Um, so <laughs> I, I'll, I'll be straight. Okay. Um, I have there are tensions for me in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, there are tensions for me that I my goal is to be consistent. Mm -hmm. You know, I had somebody pose the question to me, um, you know, based on, you know, Paul's letter to Timothy, when, you know, he talks about a woman not adorning herself with gold and, and pearls mm -hmm. and stuff, let her adornment be, um, you know, basically the her devotion to Christ. Right. Um, and... That's all in the context of Paul's discussion on elders, or it flows right into Paul's discussion on elders. Um, and, you know, it, and it flows right into, I permit not a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Yep. Right? And so, you know... And he, and he roots that in the created order. He like does. It's, it's he not, he yeah, doesn't he does. root it in cultural stuff. He, he doesn't. And so I think there is definitely a a biblical theme, um, a, a biblical doctrine for complementarianism. Right. That we're not made the same. Right. And, and I don't think we're intended to function in the body of Christ the same way. Right. Um, and that doesn't mean women can't be involved in ministry. doesn't mean that women can't be involved in ministry. doesn't mean I don't think, and see, this is where people might accuse me of being inconsistent. It, do, it does not mean I think that a woman can never in any context teach even mm -hmm. if there are men present. Right. Um, you know, I, I don't think that's what Paul, I think Paul, when he says, I permit not a woman to teach and, or exercise authority over a man, mm -hmm. I think that he's clarifying what he means by that and saying that he does not permit a woman to assume the level of authority that an elder would have in the right. church. And right. so therefore here at Res, our elders are men. But we do allow women to teach. I haven't allowed a woman to preach on Sunday morning. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not saying for sure that I wouldn't. 
Right. But I have not ever done that. Um, right. But we do have women that teach in various contexts. Um, and so I, I think there is a complementarianism, biblical complementarianism that should exist in life and in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think at the same time, there are things in scripture that are difficult to reconcile with that. I yeah. mean, what, you know, is Paul addressing a specific issue in Corinth? I think he is. Mm-hmm. I think he's addressing a specific issue in Corinth. And I, I realized that the questions that that might raise, if you take that approach to biblical interpretation, because, you know, it, if we're not careful, there's a slippery slope there that ends up, you know, opening Pandora's box right. for discussions about everything from homosexuality to yeah. other other controversial topics is your ethos for interpreting scripture has got to be consistent. And I think that that's one of those places in scripture where personally I land on the fact that he's addressing something specific in mm-hmm. Corinth because one of the things that was problematic in Corinth was their their unhealthy uh, dysfunctional approach to the gifts of the Spirit. Right. And Paul is trying to bring order to a church that is way out of yep. order in that regard. And so I think this is Paul speaking to that church mm-hmm. that, and I don't think that it is prescriptive for every body of Christ, every local body of Christ, that a woman cover her head if she's going to speak or prophesy. Mm-hmm. And I realize that could raise some questions that might take a whole episode to sure. to talk through, but that's my sense of what's going on there. Mm-hmm. I do believe in complementarianism, and there are tensions that I hold together yep. that I'm completely comfortable with throughout Scripture yeah. that inform that in one way or the and other. And that doesn't mean that the tensions won't get resolved eventually. Like yeah. we, we can't know and figure out every single doctrine at one time. That's right. And that, that's part of our growth in the faith is yeah. I'm, I'm definitely more sure of some things than I was of other things a couple yeah. of years ago. And yeah. then and then there's a couple where I'm like, maybe I need to rethink some of this, yeah. and that's okay. Yeah, and, and who wrote that question? Uh, let me see if I can read this. Michael Bertuzzi. So, Michael, I, you know, I am pretty transparent with our church um, all the time about the fact that my desire for us is to be as biblically accurate as we can. Yes. But I recognize that... I don't I don't have my arms completely around every aspect of scripture mm-hmm. and you know this is one of those things where um if you're going to hold to a, a complementarian view um you're going to have to be willing to embrace some tensions in Paul's yeah. letters that uh I don't think are contradictions I think they are tensions yep. and I think we have to do the hard work of looking at what problem or question is Paul addressing in this letter and how do we build the bridge from that into mm-hmm. our day? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I know we're going too long, but case in point, Paul says, "Greet one another with a you know a holy kiss." Yep, it's, it'd be kind of weird right now, uh, right? Like, so you yep. walk into my office to record this podcast, <laughs> and I just lay a sloppy wet kiss on you, right? right? So it's not that, even unforeseen. That's right. So you, what do you do? This is this is a, a, a principle of biblical interpretation, mm-hmm. particularly in the instructional passages yep. is we have to build a bridge from the question. We need to first understand what question is being addressed, what problem is being addressed. Yep. What is, why is Paul saying this or Peter or John, why are they saying this? Mm-hmm. 
And what does it mean? And who are they saying it to? Who are they saying it to? We got to understand that first and then build the bridge because if we don't understand that first, the bridge could be weak mm-hmm. or the bridge could land on the wrong thing. Right. Uh, and so it, it does require some, some work and some thought and right. question. Let's do uh, one more question. We both have pretty packed schedules today. Yeah. Uh, so you'll be all over this one. Uh, we've talked about this some before, but Cam Lawson asks about evening services on Sunday, basically where they've gone. Uh, why have small groups taken their place? Is it a good thing? Or does it signify a lack of hunger for the word in churches? Or is it even an either or? That's like, such I, a great it's question. A fantastic question. Um so my take on this is um, 20 years, 15 years ago, I was an advocate for doing away with Sunday night church. Um, and there's a part of me that regrets that today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like the fact that as as a general rule, the church gathers less. The church right. as a whole. Right. So in at Resurrection Church... Uh, we as a community of faith gather less now than we did 10, 12, 15 mm-hmm. years ago. And I mourn that now. Right. Um, back in the day, it seemed like the right thing to do. People were busy and Sunday night church was not well attended. And, um, you know, it just seemed redundant in, in a mm-hmm. way. But I have a much more, a much richer, deeper view of the church gathered now theologically yes. than yep. I did back then. And um, so I mourn the loss of, of Sunday night church, Wednesday night church. Mm-hmm. Um, it it would be difficult for us to add that back now, given the other programming implement, you know, things that we do. Right. S- small. A lot of our small groups meet on Sunday night, and um, some of them meet on other nights. But um, it it would be difficult to make that change now. We are we do things from time to time, like we're going to do uh, a week from this Sunday where we'll have a night of worship on yep. Sunday night. And um, so we, we do that. We had a baptism service earlier this year on a Sunday night that mm-hmm. included some worship and scripture. Yep. And so we, we do sprinkle those things into our calendar. Right. But um, I would say as a whole, I don't love the fact that we lost that. Yeah. I yeah. don't love that. And I don't know that small groups in and of themselves take the place of a whole community coming together to worship and open the scriptures. Yeah. I think there's yeah. there's a need for both the large group and the small group setting. Mm-hmm. And I, I just honestly, you know, with all the counseling that I do, Cody, mm-hmm. I find that it's not a magic bullet. It doesn't fix every problem. But the loss of gathering with the saints, yep, the the quantity of that, I don't think has been beneficial yeah, well, to the individual Christians. Especially when a frequent church attender is now considered someone who goes like twice, twice, a, twice month. a month. Yeah. That's, that's that's really frequent. Yeah. Like it, that's that's absolutely insane to me. It like is. if you're if you're a committed Christian, like why wouldn't if you're and, and especially like I get a lot of uh, well, I'm tired. You know, I overslept. Well, the best place for a tired Christian to be is gathered in the church on Sunday. Yeah. You're getting fed for the rest of the week. But because even like this Sunday, I slept really terribly. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm not a morning person. You have seen me in the morning when I, when I drag up <laughs> in true. here on Sunday mornings. I'm not a morning person. Mm-hmm. My coffee didn't really kick in at all. 
but by the time church was over, there's kind of a refreshment there. Yeah. Now, obviously, there's going to be some sermons that punch you in the gut (laughs) and wreck you for the rest of the day. But in general, like, that's the time that God has set aside to refresh his people. Yeah. Who would have thought? (laughs) Yeah. You know, (laughs) gathering is such a crucial part of our Christian experience. And I... I just think the more that we gather, you know, if I was going to plant a church, like, you know, this, this maybe almost sounds, I don't know, uh, for me to even say it like this. If you, if know, you were the dictator of Resurrection Church. If I was the dictator, if I could just snap <laughs> my fingers, dictator. If, I, if I could snap my fingers and, you know, create uh, whatever culture I wanted here, um, I, I think I would gather more. I think I would include yeah. more gatherings. And yeah. I think I would... Um, I would, I would, because but what would have to happen with that is, mm-hmm. is our individual prioritize prioritizations would have to change. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because it, it, we, I, just my life, like I'm going to leave here today at about four fifteen, and I'm going to hit the gym really quick, and then I've got to drive all the way across town mm-hmm. to my daughter's soccer practice, and you yep. know, and and then tomorrow night it's something else, and Wednesday night it's something else, mm-hmm. and Thursday night it's something else, and it's it's just there's so much other things yep. in life now that it really does make it difficult to gather more, and right. I think if if the the more we can clean out our schedules and make room for gathering yeah the better and that's a fantastic question yeah uh what are you recommending this week you got anything um go ahead with yours and i'll think i'm gonna recommend uh god greed and the prosperity gospel by costi hen uh Ah. benny hen's nephew uh who just dropped a book i listened to the audible book it's it's about a five-hour book, and I usually listen on Audible at one and a half because I'm a glutton for punishment, I mm. guess. Um, so I listened to it in one sitting uh, while stuffing circuit boards. Oh, wow. Uh, it's it's really good, but it's also not uh, a total tell-all gossip piece. It's mm. basically his testimony, and hey, here's why the prosperity gospel is a false gospel and why it's so destructive. Mm. Um, it, it, he said, even at the beginning of the book, this isn't going to, you know, the the super theology crowd isn't going to be totally happy with it, and then the people that want all the juicy details aren't going to be totally happy Right, with right, it. right. But it's really good, really compelling, and it's really not all that long of a book. Uh, so go pick it up at Amazon or Audible or what have you. Um, I, I tell you what I'll recommend, since we were talking about you know Romans 9 and 10 and, and God's sovereignty, mm-hmm. um, I listened to uh, a sermon by Piper uh, last week called The Golden Stitches of Sovereignty, What Holds Our Gospel Together. And um, his text is Mark 8, 31 to 38. It's a long sermon, um, but I, th- and I think it was preached at the Gospel Coalition. Um, such a fantastic sermon about that I think um, gets at the heart of why we must, even if you struggle to get your mind around predestination Mm -hmm. and some of those harder aspects of Reformed theology, I am an advocate for upholding the sovereignty of God. Mm -hmm. And if you have to bring along questions with you, 
Mm-hmm. In other words, if, if you if you say, I can't get my head around predestination, I can't get my head around God hardening and softening and, and, and yep. him being sovereign over the human, step back and be in awe of the sovereignty of God and uphold that and then pack up the questions and bring them with you on the journey. And, and I think Piper does a great job in that sermon mm-hmm. of explaining why the sovereignty of God is crucial yep. to the gospel. It's not just a... I can take it or leave it kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's one of those, whenever I hear Piper preach on sovereignty, I feel the need to take notes. Mm-hmm. The last time I listened to Piper preach on Romans 9, I was driving, and it was so good I had to take notes on my phone while driving. Oh, I made a mistake. <laughs> I've dictated notes while driving, yeah. just like you hit pause on something and then just pull up the oh, phone yeah. and dictate Oh, yeah, sometimes you just got to. Uh, follow us and comment on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Make sure you leave a five-star review. You can support the show and uh, keep the lights on, so to speak, at anchor.fm, where you can donate money and help us improve. And if you pledge to donate $10 a month for a year, you get your choice of a Piper Drive version 2 or Wycliffe Fuzz. We'll leave you uh, with eyes set to kill. Here you go. Thanks for listening. <laughs>